Good morning, Ed Kashi. Welcome on VH Berries. Good morning. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How about you? Hanging in there, you know, uh, uh, waiting in anticipation for, you know, whether my uh, country's democracy will survive in the next week. But I have faith. You are at the forefront of the experimentation with visual language and also by using a standing desk. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I, I am shifting around. But stand, you know what they say, sitting is the new cancer. <laughs> It's an interesting analogy because um, when you're upright, uh, you're free to move very quickly, a bit like your work as a photojournalist. Ah, that's a good one. That's right. But I mean, let's face it, we are still animals and we were not made to sit in chairs. So, you know, I think that sitting a lot is probably the source of many, many health problems that people have. And you just mentioned uh, the future of the democracy. And I just realized a couple hours uh, earlier that uh, the Twitter account of Donald Trump was suspended. Yes, which was, I would say, four years or five years overdue. But thankfully, you know, Twitter and Facebook and even now YouTube, uh, which is owned by Google, have, you know, at least silenced him uh, for the time being, maybe forever. Uh, and, you know, I know that it, it brushes up against, um, uh, you know, in the United States, our First Amendment rights for free speech. But it's so clear that he and many others violate even the simple terms of agreement with these social media organizations, let alone what the Constitution says in the First Amendment, that you're free to say whatever you want, but you cannot incite violence. Sure. And I would like to focus on the present, your current project and state of mind. And there is no separation between uh, your life and your work, which means that you often uh, work with your wife, uh, Julie Winokur. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, we don't work enough. I mean, we, you know, we had to pass through uh, 20 years of, of child rearing, which was obviously a very, be very beautiful and rich thing. And now we are blessed with two great young humans who are independent. But um, yeah, we've started now to work together again after having worked quite a lot over, uh, over our lives, over our careers. Uh, we just started a new project that, um, that was featured in Time magazine a couple of weeks ago about political discourse in the United States. And how did you met each other? Well, like so much in my life, everything seems to lead back to photography. And um, in 1992, we met at a uh, book publishing seminar in San Francisco. And uh, that's, that's it. From there, everything took off. So, um, you know, we were, we were married and had a child within a few years of that, that beautiful date. And um, we're almost 30 years into our relationship, you know, as, as colleagues working together, supporting each other. And of course, also creating work independently of each other and then raising two kids. So. And together, you founded in 2002 a non-profit company uh, named Talking Eyes Media. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so that, that, so Talking Eyes Media um, evolved out of our big eight-year project called Aging in America, where we had um, spent that time looking at this one very critical sort of social issue. 
that, that, that was in the United States. And frankly, that's, that's confronting most of the industrialized world. And after that experience where we had received a lot of grants, uh, foundation grants, and other creative grants, we realized that if we could have our own nonprofit, we would, uh, first of all, be able to use all the monies we received in grants uh, to create our work as opposed to paying taxes and paying um, what is called a fiscal agent. And so um, anyway, not, not, to, not to get too granular, um, basically on a sort of spiritual and practical level, we felt that if we started our own nonprofit, then we could not only use it to raise money for our projects, but it would also allow us a little more independence from media, from media industry, if you like. Because one thing we've learned over the years, both collectively, you know, working together as well as individually, certainly that's the hallmark of my career as a photojournalist, is that, you know, when you when you come up with your own ideas, when you propose your own ideas, that's where not only the greatest work comes from, but also, you know, basically, as they say, if you build it, they will come. And so one thing I, I, I counsel photographers who I mentor and teach is that um, if you're waiting for that phone call or email to come in from an editor, you know, it, that's, it might happen, but that's not where the great work will come from. And that's also not where you'll find your, your own voice and your own sense of what you care about. That all of those great things come from you coming up with your own ideas and then executing on them. I like this quote. Steve Jobs used to say it to create the products uh, that the people wouldn't expect. And if I understood correctly, this uh, special non-profit company uh, is focusing on creating visual media that catalyzes a positive social change. Uh, and together with a strong team, uh, you put films to work at a grassroots level. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, thank you for, for mentioning that because another critical element that for us, for Julie and I, is so important is that our work can contribute to some kind of change, positive change, obviously, you know. And, and so for the last six years, we've been focused a lot on the issue of immigration in the United States through our ongoing project called Newest Americans, where through Rutgers University in Newark, New Jersey, we've used sort of that campus and that platform to tell stories in many different mediums or media to um, tell stories about immigration. But Talking Eyes Media, uh, its foundational kind of element or, 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 or uh, ethos, if you like, is really about how do we use, you know, whether it's photography, filmmaking, writing, you know, uh, books, exhibitions, films, um, whatever it may be, performance art, whatever it may be, if, to create work that is compelling about issues that we care about that will also advance the dialogue in the public sphere, change people's minds, and, in, and get people to engage with those issues. And then the camera slowly uh, become your third eyes. It's the talking eyes. That's right. Actually, I have to admit that that name came to me uh, while I was on a massage table in San Francisco. <laughs> and, and as I was getting a massage, I was talking with then uh, our massage therapist, who we, Marina, who we had gone to for more than a decade. So she was a dear friend. And we were saying, you know, I was saying to her, yeah, Julie and I are starting a nonprofit and we haven't figured out a name. And so Marina and I were troubleshooting and or not troubleshooting, but but, you know, sort of riffing. And we came up with that 
name. So it does make for a very long email address, though. Not so good. <laughs> By dint of publishing works, uh, the short films uh, wins award and you make exhibits and publish books. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, again, it's, it's, we've not, um, we've not uh, isolated ourselves to only doing still photography and focused on print media. And of course, that would be absurd given how the media landscape has changed so dramatically since 2002. So, you know, now we really look, I mean, there was a term that was very, um, uh, you know, very in, in vogue called transmedia a few years ago. And it's that idea of, you know, creating media materials that can work across platforms and especially now with social media having so much importance um you know and then just digit the digital platforms of heretofore editorial outlets you know so for instance you know you might have work published in national geographic in the print edition but if ironically if you have a, an image on their instagram account you reach millions of more people so the idea or the philosophy behind our approach is to create what we call multi-platform storytelling so we might use still images and and video and text to then create materials that can work in print that can work on the digital platforms of editorial outlets like time magazine or the new york times or the new yorker so forth and then um, also create films that can work on the web and, uh, and it, when possible, although it's very difficult, in broadcast. You know, broadcast is probably the toughest kind of media channel to, to, to uh, you know, to, to succeed in. Exactly. You just mentioned, for example, Instagram, which is a platform that can um, share and uh, diffuse uh, pictures massively and for example you have a massive instagram account with like uh three hundred thousand followers yeah i mean you know it's bizarre to think how you know to like look at how things have changed in this profession i started in 1980 1981 so it's been you know a 40-year journey now and you know who would have ever thought things would evolve to what they are today and I'm very much of a forward thinking and forward looking person. So, you know, I welcome these changes, even though they've been incredibly disruptive, uh, you know, financially, in many ways, it's been very disruptive. But what it has allowed us to do now is to, first of all, be way more creative and, and in different uh media as i've said as i just said but also to reach so many more people globally and because of the reach of the internet and now social media it you know it we're not like our work is not just ghettoized to the ghettoized is the wrong term our work is not just sort of like only seen by people in wealthy nations you know that that Virtually anybody anywhere who has an internet connection or, or a, a smartphone can look at the work that not only we create, but our colleagues as well. And so, you know, for all the, the sort of downsides of social media and the internet and, you know, the very sort of tragic siloing of people's information and now belief or in in what is factual and you know what is real at least we can also reach people in a way that we never could and that's to me a very exciting and encouraging development and we try to take advantage of that 
So, for example, Ed Kashi, when you did your work, uh, Paradox Nation in Pakistan, which is one of uh, the most uh, extraordinary country for you, you mean that you are touching uh, people in Pakistan on your, for example, social media? Yes, absolutely. I mean, if they're paying attention, you know, uh, but, you know, I'll put it as an analogy or not an analogy, an example. In 1998, I did my first story for National Geographic in Pakistan, about Pakistan, and whenever it was published in 1999. So unless you had a subscription to National Geographic magazine or unless you had some way of seeing it, you know, physically, you would never know that that story happened if you lived in Pakistan. Whereas, you know, I think it was in 2009, I did my last story for Nat Geo in Pakistan about the Punjab province. You know, by that time, people didn't need to subscribe. They didn't need to have the, the, the financial means, you know, to the average Pakistani, which would be quite expensive for them unless you were in the upper middle class or beyond, you know, they, you didn't need a subscription anymore. All you needed was an internet connection. And so that to me is such an exciting development. And, and I want to say, Victor, that it's not just exciting for me as the creator of this work, but it's also exciting, or it's also um, what it has done is it has created uh, a greater um, responsibility on our shoulders as as journalists, as media creators, because now we can be held accountable for what we say and what we show in a way that was never possible when we were only working in print media. And that's a very positive development. Did you book a new flight to Pakistan? Uh, no, <laughs> no. I, I mean, you know, international travel, as you, I'm sure you're aware of, is not so easy during the pandemic. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, tricky. So I have no plans to go to Pakistan right now, but uh, certainly it would be amazing to return there because it truly is one of the most extraordinary places I've ever been. Um, for all its problems and all the issues there, it is a pretty magical place. And I mentioned Pakistan because you have uh, this uh, capability of accumulating multiple projects and different vision at the same time. For example, when you were working on your project in Pakistan, uh, para Paradox Nation from 1994 to uh, 2009, you were also working on the years ahead. Yeah, so... so it's rare that I'm only working on one project. I mean, that would be a dream, quite frankly, but I don't think it's really possible for many reasons. But, you know, in, in general, I'm always, you know, juggling assignment work, commissions, and then, you know, developing my own personal projects. And so, um, you know, and now also with mentoring and teaching and lecturing, you know, it becomes a pretty robust um a pretty robust practice here that, that I'm trying to maintain. But I'll tell you at the heart of my, my work and my, my being is, is having a personal project that I'm engaged with. And um, yeah, yeah. That's a fact. Uh, you are both one year apart. You are the Tom Hanks of photojournalism. <laughs> Listen to you. <laughs> You're too kind. <laughs> Because Tom Hanks is best known for Forrest Gump and you, uh, Ed Kashi, are best known for aging in America. 
There you go. All right, that's it. <laughs> and I've aged through the whole thing, you know? <laughs> so. Because in this uh, very particular work called uh, Aging in America, um, so America is your home. And in 29 years, uh, the meaning of this word has shifted for you. The meaning of what word? The word home. Ah, uh, yes. Well, you know, when you live uh, what one would call a peripatetic life, a, a life of being on the road, you know, the majority of the time, then home is a is a strange thing you know it's uh, it's a uh, i you know i've something that i've struggled with and i continue to struggle with um because you're constantly having to sort of bifurcate your 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 mentality your your heart and you know you're on the one hand juggling being home and and being a, a good partner to your mate and to your family but then you're also always i'm always preparing to be gone and so it's a very um it's a very unusual existence really but it when one of the very interesting developments or um realizations because of the pandemic where now i've been forced to be home more than I have ever been in probably 30 years, you know, um, like literally. Um, it's made me appreciate being home. And, you know, I say to my to Julie, you know, I feel spoiled because I'm not used to, you know, being home for dinner most nights and being able to chill out and, and you know, not having to wake up super early to go and, and, and go out into battle, you know, to do the work. So um, even though I am working and, and traveling a bit, it's very different right now. And um, so for me, home during the pandemic is, is um, has meaning in a way I've never, I've never felt before really in my adult life. I can feel this because um, after being everywhere on the planet, your last work uh, called um, Rising to the Cold was made not very far from your home in New Jersey. That's right. That's right. I this past March, when when the pandemic really hit in America, and we had to shut down, and all, all of a sudden, after again after decades of being on the road most of the time, I realized I couldn't travel, or it would be very unsafe to travel. Um, I decided to look um, what I would call to do hyper local storytelling. And it's something that I've thought about for years, and I've done stories on my family in the past, and in um, you know in in my home even. But um, you know, it's not something that I normally tried to do or thought about. And so the pandemic really brought home the value of hyper local storytelling because we should always remember that all around us there are great stories to be told. There's there's great characters and and issues that need to be. Uh, reported on or, or photographed. And so I decided to look at, for, for a change, a positive thing, which was how individuals and organizations in my home state of New Jersey were dealing with the pandemic. And again, this was an idea that I came up with. I spent about two months going out most days, photographing things, doing research and Um, accumulating a body of work, and then I I decided to call it "Rising to the Call" with this idea of you know while people were panicking and suffering and 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 you know going through something that they had never anticipated or experienced before, which was this quarantine pandemic, 
there were yet there were people and there were organizations that were rising to the moment that were volunteering that were putting themselves even their own selves at risk or shifting their business models to do things to help other people and i i can't emphasize that enough especially in this period that we're we're thankfully coming out of under the trump administration where you know so there was so much disarray with government and and uh, sort of uh, you know this idea that we were all in it you know we're we're in it alone and and we couldn't rely on each other that i wanted to sh- highlight how there's so many great people and great organizations and businesses and and you know government institutions that were that were really taking this moment to do the right thing and to help one another And as you said, uh, Ed Kashi, this amazing story, you are giving them a voice because uh, 2021 rhymes for you also with the Enigma Room. <laughs> yeah, the Enigma Room. Well, well, that that piece, which is an experimental immersive video, something I've never done before, um, that actually premiered in 2019 at Photoville in Brooklyn in New York. And then last year it, uh, it appeared at the Breda Festival in Holland. And uh, it looks like there's a couple of venues, if all goes smoothly this year, that, that it will appear in. But this is an active project that uh, the, my studio mates, the people that I'm, that I'm working with, um, you know, we're constantly developing it into new iterations. Uh, and it's really cool to, to sort of experiment with audio and with all the, the accumulated visual material that I have, well, all the work I've accumulated over the last 40 years. So, you know, this is an example of, of where, you know, as an artist, I guess, or creative, uh, as a creative soul, I'm always looking to do new things and try new things. And at the heart of the Enigma project is the idea of coding, computer coding, that, you know, really since Instagram and Hipstamatic came about, um, photography is coding. You know, that even if you shoot, even if you create images in film, you could use a pinhole camera, ultimately, it will be digitized to be able to share with the world. And so once you digitize images, you're dealing with computer coding. But that also means it invites a tremendous amount of manipulation. And I don't mean that in a negative sense in this case. Uh, obviously, when, it, when we manipulate images that are meant to be factual or you know, reality-based, that's hugely problematic. But in this case, I, as long as you're transparent, which I am with this project, it's really about playing with computer coding and you know, kind of trying to trick the viewer or bring them to a place they, they, they've not been before. Yes, exactly. You mean that you are using the leverage of coding as a new mode of creating and consuming photography. And you also succeed to implement uh, the Enigma Room uh, in South Korea in uh, March of 2021. That's right. That's right. Thank you. I know. I'm very excited about that. I'm uh, actually I'm I wish I could go. I, I have such an interest in South Korea now. It's uh, it's a place that that was always sort of in the background in the American mind. And um, I feel like in the last handful of years, they, you know, South Korea has really emerged as a, not only an economic powerhouse, but also a, a cultural a powerhouse. And, um, and so I'm very excited to have my work in, in South Korea. I just wish I could go <laughs> one day. Thank you, Ed Kashi. Thank you so much, Victor. <laughs> 